0: we mm-hmm.
1: Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 251 of X-Lapsed, and it's a, uh, it's a strange non-Sunday edition where we're looking at X-Men Unlimited. We had to push it to Monday this week since we had quest days yesterday. Oh, okay, now I get it. And so we're going to be taking a look at our exclusive issue today. So let's hop right in. We've got uh, X-Men Unlimited, uh, either Volume 3 or Volume Infinity, I guess. Uh, number 3, we'll say it has a September 2021 cover date, even though it doesn't have a, uh, you know, cover to put the date on. Anyway, written by Jonathan Hickman, with art by Declan Shalvey. Letters, VCs, Joe Sabino. Edits, Bisa white Cebulski, And it appeared on the app on September the 13th of 2021. Now, we pick up right where we left off last time, though uh, we do have to scroll for about five seconds to get there. Once we do, it's, a, well, it's MODOK, of course. Uh, well, the Modoc mainframe of the Dreadnought Paradigm shift, anyway. And MODOK threatens to kill our hero. Uh, not sure why, but the next we see of Logan, he's pouring out his remaining two beers. Uh, did, I don't know if we missed something here. I don't know why he would drink four of them and then dump two. I don't know, maybe he's watching his weight. Oh, and it's worth noting here that uh, the MODOK mainframe is like in this giant bubble Where last issue, when we wrapped up, it looked like it was like underground, kind of Like inside the ground under a clear membrane Maybe it wasn't clear, maybe maybe I'm just an idiot, who knows But uh, anyway, MODOK asks Wolverine if he's ready to die To which our man answers with a question of his own He wants to know what AIM wants with mutants Now, you remember we heard the term Project Tundra back at the first issue, and how I mentioned that it was new to me? Well, AIM's need for mutants has to do with that. And we'll just let Modoc explain it. He says, Project Tundra demands biological resources. Project Tundra must succeed for AIM to survive. Therefore, AIM must have biological resources. So it's uh, just as easy as that, I guess. Wolverine decides that his uh, next best step should start with a snicked And so, uh, he cuts his way into the bubble membrane thing And proceeds to hack away at the MODOK hologram facsimile I'm not quite sure how this works And, uh, well, neither does MODOK, it seems He informs Logan that it would uh, he would need to slice 100 billion unique connections to shut down this mind uh, Something he estimates should take our hairy little mutant friend 17 entire years to do Undeterred, Wolverine keeps slicing away all the same Now, uh, if you're following along, you might remember last time we discussed X-Men Unlimited We got like ten seconds of scrolling while Logan repeatedly punched the aim beekeeper in the face Well, this is sort of like that Only with Wolverine slashing at the squiggly lines that make up this MODOK mainframe And he's causing MODOK to uh, forget things You know, first, MODOK forgets his first genocide then he forgets his plans to replace the AIM beekeepers with automatons. Then he loses his copies of the original Star Wars trilogy, which uh, finally prompts MODOK to uh, to give in and, and try to negotiate. And, you know, it's been a while since I've said this, but uh, Jonathan Hickman is not very funny. He's not a funny writer. Uh, anyway, Wolverine keeps slicing and dicing until MODOK forcibly gives him a peace offering... In the form of the floor beneath him opening up Now Wolverine falls to the level below Which thankfully only requires about a second and a half of scrolling to get to There he finds some beekeepers attending to one of the mutant containing canisters And so he beats up the baddies and opens a thing He and we discover the contents of this canister as being Nightcrawler And Kurt wakes up and asks for a sitrep And uh, Logan catches him and us up You see, AIM invaded Sword Satellite, The Peak, used a neutralizer to KO everybody, and then took three mutants back with them, Nightcrawler and two others. You then ask Kurt if he's down to join him on this mission, and of course he is. From here, he is somehow able to figure out where the other two mutants have been taken. Uh, I think he's holding a uh, clipboard of some sort. Uh, One is in Antarctica, the other is in New Zealand. And I'm starting to get vibes of the uh, the old annual JLA JSA team ups, where they'd uh, like spend entire issues just being sent places to find things. Uh, now Kurt says, "Hey, there's two locations. There's two of us. Maybe we should split up." But Logan's like, "Nah, they'll work this one together." And we wrap up this little story with Wolverine telling Kurt that uh, once this is all said and done, he can buy him a drink. And then they bamf on out. Okay, so uh, we are uh, we're only three segments of X-Men Unlimited in, Um, and yet I feel like if I were to try to go into my thoughts on this one, I'd just be repeating myself, which uh, you guys know me, I do repeat myself fairly often on this program, and on all all programs, I suppose, but uh, I really don't have anything novel to say about this. Um, The art's great, the story is kind of just there, it uh, doesn't feel too terribly important or vital to the you know overarching reign of x storyline it's just a kind of an aside and i mean that isn't necessarily a bad thing especially since i mean we are getting this at least for now we're getting this for free so the price is right it's extra content it's extra flavor so many of us are already subscribed to marvel unlimited so this is just a this is just sprinkles on top of the sundae so it's it's hard to complain about it It'd also be kinda silly to complain about it I mean, this is extra content, after all I'm not exactly sure how long this opening arc's gonna go on If I were to make an uneducated guess I'd say that we're probably right around the halfway point I mean, here we are, we found Nightcrawler You know, this is issue 3 uh, Probably 4 we'll find the next one 5 we'll find the third and final one And then probably in 6 We'll have our big, you know, senses-shattering conclusion to this arc At least I hope it doesn't go uh, any longer than six installments, because I think my mind has already moved on to what could possibly be next from the unlimited front here. This is uh, still a uh, format and a medium that I think has a lot of uh, potential. But I think I'm already kind of over the scrolling gimmick and kind of over this aim story as well. So, of course, that isn't to say it's a bad thing. I just feel like the unlimited concept... uh, evokes memories of these sort of side stories, and uh, talking of potential, I mean, I've said this the past few times, I think this sort of thing should be used to flesh out uh, some lesser known and lesser seen aspects of the current, uh, you know, X-Men landscape. I totally understand launching it with a Wolverine story, but uh, I just hope it doesn't, you know, drag on. Too long and we can move on to some Other things I mean of course that Is uh, bearing in mind that that's the Goal here and I don't know anything about anything So for all I know after The Wolverine arc ends maybe we'll get a Six part Emma Frost arc because Certainly we don't see enough of her in These books Then we can get four parts Of people talking about Jumbo Carnation's Outfits we can we can do that because we Certainly don't see enough of that but uh, <laughs> I'm of course being overly snarky Here but uh I'm just hoping that uh, maybe we shine a light on some of the lesser-seen aspects of uh, Krakoan life once this opening arc is uh, out of our way. But that'll remain to be seen, and we will get there when we get there. In any event, we'll we'll be there for it. But I think that's all I have to say about uh, X-Men Unlimited number three. But uh, we do have another number three to talk about, and it's... It's Jeff. Number three. We'll say it's September 2021 cover, despite the fact that it doesn't have a cover. Uh, The story is called Sheep's Clothing, written by Kelly Thompson, with art by Gurihiru. Edits pile go wack a Now, this is another kind of blink-and-you-miss-it story. It's very, very short, but it's also very, very fun and very, very wonderful. Now, we open with little Jeffrey at the beach. Now, he watches some of the human folks surf, and he gets excited about hopping into the drink himself. Only, before he does, he remembers the terrible fright he gave his pals back in Issue 1. So, It's Jeff has continuity, (laughs) and uh, it's almost like more continuity than I'd expect in an average Marvel comic nowadays. Now, anyway, if you recall, back in issue one, Jeff was visiting the public pool, and when he hopped in for a swim, all of his pals, upon seeing his shark fin, scrambled to get out of the water. And uh, these weren't just some wimps or nothing, we actually have a who's who here. We had Moongirl, Devil Dinosaur, Black Panther, Spider-Gwen, Captain Marvel, Captain America, Miles Morales, Doctor Strange, and the Hulk. So, with this revelation, Jeff gets all slump-shouldered and sad. And yeah, it's weird to say, but this tiny shark actually looks slump-shouldered. But then, he has an idea, so off to the costume shop he goes. There, he buys a costume from a pair of vendors dressed as Fin Fang, Foom, and Gwenpool, respectively. And next thing we know, Jeff returns to the beach, changes into costume where he's dressed as... a dolphin. And he hops into the drink, and nobody is any the wiser, and he can finally play with his new human friends. And that's where we leave it, and, uh, Just like I said with uh, X-Men Unlimited number three, I feel like to... Analyze this or attempt to analyze it I would just be repeating myself because this is a story that uh, defies analysis It's just an adorable little aside and uh, I had a great time with it for as short as it was I I really really enjoyed it The art here is just it pops it pops it's just plain adorable and the uh, situations that uh, Kelly Thompson puts this tiny little land shark in are just uh they're just so much fun um and just like every time we've talked about Jeff to this point, um, my only complaint is I want this physical. <laughs> I want physical versions of this. I want, I want Jeff merch. I want as much merch as Marvel can throw at us here. This is uh, some gateway uh, stuff here. I think you could capture the imagination of, uh, of young readers for perhaps the first time by giving them some Jeff stories. And if you've been listening for a while, you all know how I feel about adaptations of comics here. If you make a movie or a cartoon or whatever out of it, I'm usually not on board with that kind of thing. I usually roll my eyes anytime someone's like, well, this would make a great cartoon. Or, hey, this should be a movie. Well, in Jeff's case, yes, this should be, like, short five-minute cartoons. This should be cartoons. This should be those mini-comics that people give away on Halloween. I mean, this... I feel like there's so much potential with Jeff as a as a gateway character And getting the younger generation interested in our comics universes here Like, I look at what DC's doing with their, like, YA brand and their kids brand here And I'm seeing crap like, uh, what was it called? Uh, Archimaniacs I mean, are you kidding me with this crap? Um... But no, give us Jeff, put him in the kids' section of the bookstore, put him next to Dogman and the Pigeon and the Elephant and Piggy, you know, put him over there where kids can find him here, and present it as looking a little less cheap than the, you know, I-can-read-level-two-Captain-America I story that looks like the most generic thing in the world. And yeah, I do have a little bit of knowledge about the kids' section of bookstores. My wife, uh, my wife taught second grade for over a decade, so we spent a lot of time uh, collecting books for her library, and... I always wanted to, like, suggest that she picks up some sort of a a Marvel or a DC thing, but all of the Marvel and DC stuff looked so cheap, looked so crappy. And I couldn't imagine a single kid reading that and being excited to seek out more of the same, and then as they grow older, actually maybe, maybe darken the doorway of a comic book store to continue following these adventures, but, uh... I think Jeff the Landshark might be that breakthrough character. I mean, you give cameos to all the heavy hitters in Marvel, you have them all kind of orbiting around this adorable Landshark in his adorable little innocent adventures, and I, I think you could uh, maybe pump a little bit of lifeblood back into this industry in as far as the next generation's concerned. And I've totally taken Marvel to task before for their... Lazy, thrown-in, free comic book day crap Jeff the Landshark seems like the perfect candidate For a free comic book day issue Maybe I'm over-romanticizing it Maybe uh, I'm completely wrong But And I certainly don't think that uh, Jeff the Landshark Can (laughs) single-handedly save comics retail or anything like that But uh, I think he could uh, be a step in the right direction Again, this is younger readers here uh, Kids who are just discovering what comic books are and it's a tough road to hoe, and I mean, I've talked about this so many times before, so I will try not to waste too much of your time on it today, but uh, comics are not impulse buys anymore. Comics are expensive. Comics are not written for kids anymore. You wouldn't want a kid reading a mainstream comic book anymore. It's just not written for them. And so uh, the, the answer may lie within a tiny little land shark. But yes, I think that's all I have to say about uh, Jeff the Land Shark number three. I was... Positively tickled that there was continuity. I never expected there to be continuity, so big thumbs up for that, and uh, just big thumbs up overall. It's such a fun, quick experience, but so much fun. So much fun. Anyway, with that out of the way here, I don't usually do mail on Unlimited Day. Unlimited Day is usually a, a quick, you know, in-and-out sort of thing, but uh, since this is... A Monday show this week, and we do have some Monday rituals that we do here on the show I figure uh, we'll do some mailbagging, why not? Now we're going to start with Evan talking about Children of the Atom, number four Now Evan says, one thing this series does convey is emotion I can not only see but feel the kid's outsider status and yearning to belong But the story doesn't hold up to the feelings The fact that I I now know it's ending in two issues makes me question the slow burn even more It feels like every time we learn something and think the series is going in a particular direction, we start over with a new narrator and direction, while retreading similar ground. Perhaps it's meant to keep us guessing. Are they mutants? Altered humans? High-tech wonders? Aliens? Those are all the TSR Marvel role-playing game character types I can remember off the top of my head. And yeah, I totally agree here. Um, If you're listening to this episode, you've probably already made it through the conclusion of Children of the Atom, where... I made a lot of those same um, sort of observations there It's like, was this really the right way to present this story With this semi-repetitive slow burn here Where for every like one step forward we got two steps back It just uh, it didn't work for the way that it was presented here um, I'm not sure how it'll read as a collected edition because of course that's all you know that's all corporate cares about is how this is going to read in perpetuity here they don't care about the monthlies or the weeklies or anything like that so when you read the uh, the trade the inevitable trade and you see that the hellfire gala is part of the ending of it it's not going to matter when this happened it's not going to matter if this issue came out 2 months after the hellfire gala actually ended it's uh, a lot of the a lot of the concerns that I think I had in reading it month to month Aren't going to be pertinent or valid anymore Unfortunately, I don't know Professor X So I can't have my mind wiped (laughs) All I can do is reflect on how I received them Going month to month And in that regard, it was uh, a very clunkily told story At least in my opinion Now Evan continues Where's Nagin and the other headmen? And Maggot's on the last page of this issue And on the cover of number 5 So I've got to see what happens next And I'm also going to go with Carmen being a brood queen Maybe she can go hang with Brew and design X costumes for his kinder, gentler brood. And yeah, I think I think a lot of us forgot about Nagin and the other headmen there during the uh, the cold dinner scene, where we found out that Cole's uh, illness or whatever he came down with um, was cured by giving him some like mutant. DNA uh, like a transfusion of some sort. I can't remember exactly how it was presented to us, but uh something along those lines and uh it definitely felt like we were seeding for a future story arc here and I mean, we don't know what's coming post Inferno. There could very well be a volume 2 of this. I mean, who can say? And as far as Carmen's um manifestation there, well, by now you know it wasn't uh, that she is a brood queen. It was actually just a, a swipe of the uh, the old O Comics razor, you know. Um, what's the what's the easiest thing that they could have made her into? Well, a mutant, and uh, that's exactly what they did. Definitely kind of a misfire as a series, but this one felt like it was kind of snake bit from the start, didn't it? Um, I mean, this one was originally solicited back in uh, the spring of 2020, right? So over a year later, it came out. Things were well, they were pretty different. From, uh, I mean, we were post XA 10s and uh, we were in a whole different phase of this run So perhaps it would have fared a bit better back then Maybe this would have been like phase one for Vida Ayala's uh, run on New Mutants Because if this would have gotten us to the original launch date of the X of Swords event Right after that is when, is when Vida Ayala took over New Mutants, so maybe this would have been a lead-in for that. Uh, maybe the Coda Kids would have been uh, more part of the Wild Hunt storyline going on in New Mutants, and for all we know, the Coda Kids may show up somewhere down the line in New Mutants. We do know that there's a new direction coming, at least that's what the solicit alludes to uh, come December or so, so wouldn't surprise me either way. I suppose we will see. But, uh, thank you so much for writing in on that one, Evan. I really, really appreciate it. Next up, Andrew Franklin talking about the Trial of Magneto number one. Andrew says, Congratulations on hitting the quarter of a thousandth episode. Only 75% more to go for the big kilo extravaganza show. Well, thank you so much. Uh, The reception for uh, hitting 250 shows was a little overwhelming to me. I I was not expecting anybody to really care or notice. And, uh... People did. People did. I don't know if they listened, but they at least appreciated um, the effort that was going into this program every day. So, thank you, Andrew, and thanks to everybody. We'll, we'll talk more about that at the, at the very end of the show, or toward the end of the show. Andrew continues. On a first read of Trial number 1, I was a little disappointed because I didn't think the book would be written in crossover style, where everyone jumps to a conclusion, fights break out at the drop of a hat, and no one stops to talk, even though that would solve 99% of the problems. That's not really the style I was expecting from Leia Williams. But after the X Factor debacle, I kind of assume it's mostly Marvel meddling trying to make this series a big event. Or maybe it's just Onslaught. And yes, I totally agree here. There, uh, there was definitely meddling at play here. Uh, from what we know, uh, this uh, Scarlet Witch, I guess, case, I guess that's what we would call an X Factor story for this run, their cases. The Scarlet Witch case was supposed to hit in issue 15 of X-Factor, which would probably be coming out a couple months from now. Of course, X-Factor wasn't selling that well, and we do have the big uh, the big seismic shift here with Hickman leaving, Inferno hitting, and just the uncertainty of what this uh, next phase is going to look like post-Inferno. Um, I think they had to kind of make it its own thing here. Now, it remains to be seen whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but... Um, as I mentioned when I, uh, when I covered the issue here, I really didn't know how to quite to react to it. You know, I, I think I was expecting, kind of like you were, not, the, not the, you know, the standard Marvel big fight. I think I was expecting more of a forensic look at it with a, more of a focus on X-Factor. Though they, they did get a focus here, they were kind of just along for the ride, right? They, they were in the driver's seat for a bit, <laughs> but for the rest of it it was just like, well, yeah, they did their role and uh, now let's let the, uh, the stars take care of it. And I also mentioned during the discussion that I felt, I don't know, a little bit of passive aggression, which may be me projecting, which may be just me imagining things that aren't really there, but it sure felt like um, X-Factor was kind of annoyed at uh, their role in this. Plus, I, I don't think Marvel did themselves any favors by having Wolverine basically figure out that Magneto did it in the last page of X-Factor number 10, and then, like... The big reveal here is that like they all came to that conclusion But Wolverine was there too and didn't I don't know And I mean he said it out loud in X Factor number 10 It's not like people didn't hear it I don't know I, I, Like I said during that episode I, I want to reserve judgment on it at least for now And if this does wind up falling short I mean Kind of feels like we got a lot of cooks in the kitchen Right now between editorial and creative Trying to tell the story that they feel needs to be told it also doesn't help matters that we've gone into this, you know, famine to feast, back to famine again sort of situation as as it pertains to momentum in these uh, in this line of books here, where like we spend months and months and months treading water, and then all of a sudden it's like we don't just have one event, we don't just have two events, we've got three. I mean, we have this onslaught revelation, we have the trial of Magneto, and we have Inferno. Inferno is hitting the shelves in like two days, so I mean, all these events happening at once. Which is the most important? Well, probably Inferno. So what does that mean about the Trial of Magneto? That's just another event? Is that a less important event? It's, I don't know, it it feels like really odd timing, and it's not doing anything but Inferno any favors. Andrew continues, On a second read of the issue, I was able to look past the breakneck pace of the plot and appreciate Williams' dialogue and how she really gets into the emotions of the characters. It is a little strange how Quicksilver just shows up, but you can't help but to feel his well of anger, frustration, and sadness. And whatever is going on with the Scarlet Witch is very intriguing and does a whole lot more to propel interest in the next chapters. And yeah, you know, like I said, I'm withholding judgment until we get a little deeper into it. Uh, I think I'd have preferred they hold off a little bit with Jack uh, telling us that the Scarlet Witch isn't dead. I thought that was a little quick here. I did enjoy seeing Quicksilver, and I certainly enjoyed the uh, little callback to the original Brotherhood. I thought that was very well done. But I suppose we will see on uh, on everything else. Uh, and wraps up with, so until we get to see what a, what a Krakoan courtroom looks like, make my next lapsed. And you know, I actually thought that that's what this was going to be. <laughs> I think uh, when I first heard that this was going to be called The Trial of Magneto, I figured it was going to be five issues of something kind of like the last time. Or the first time Magneto was put on trial back around uh, Uncanny Two Hundred or so. I figured that was going to be our present day, and then we were going to get a lot of flashbacks, trying to put together the pieces here. I don't know if I was necessarily excited about that sort of prospect, especially dragging on for you know an entire miniseries worth of issues. But uh, but that's kind of what I assumed we were going to get, you know, especially with the ending of X-Factor X Factor Ten being like, gotta find Magneto. <laughs> I figured this this was going to start with them. Already having Magneto in, uh, in captivity or just on trial, and the Quiet Council would hear his case. But thank you so much for your kind words and for your early thoughts on the uh, trial of Magneto, Andrew. Uh, next up, we got Peter talking about X-Corp Number 3, and uh, in particular, uh, one scene that was in X-Corp Number 3 uh, regarding when Jamie Madrox manifested his powers. Now, Peter says, I always thought most mutants had their mutations hit during puberty, but just like not everyone writing with their right hand, there could be a fair bit of exceptions. Didn't Professor X and Cassandra Nova manifest powers in their mother's womb? I think it's unnecessarily limiting for all people finding out their mutants exclusively one way or the other. And yes, that's uh, absolutely true. Uh, Cassandra was, uh, what was she, a momon, mom, I, don't remember, I don't know how to say the word, mumandri, mum, whatever she was. Uh, uh, Charles was able to, uh, or he thought he was able to take her out with his powers uh, even while he was still in the womb. I think my point in mentioning that during X Corp. number three was more me being kind of a uh, well snarky jerk, <laughs> kind of playing it like uh, the writer of that issue isn't familiar enough with the uh, with the source material to know that there's uh, any sort of I don't want to say controversy, but uh, debate over whether or not that's how his powers would have manifested. Because not only do they not read the other X books, I doubt they're uh, looking at old usenet posts and old forum posts going back you know quarter of a century at this point but yes your point is well taken and and for the most part i do agree i I like uh, that there is a bit of variety on how and when a power can manifest and my statements on that episode were more just me being kind of a pedantic jerk is all but thank you so much for writing in peter i'm really enjoying hearing from you Now that is the mailbag for today, but from here we're going to hop into a couple of voicemails. So uh, we're going to start off with the voicemail from Ed Moore.
0: Hey Chris, this is Ed Moore. Um, In reference to your question posed on x One, Episode 3, Marvel Mystery Comics Number 3, about Toro, um, I say you just pass him by uh, as you are going through all of these different series and different eras and everything, it's just not going to be possible to keep up with everyone who is a mutant, uh rumored mutant, possible mutant, potential mutant, kind of mutant. You know, it, it just – it'll start expanding too quickly. If you um probably just pare down and focus on the ones that uh pop up more frequently or become, you know, A-list characters – that probably will be um, enough to fill plenty plenty of time that you want to do as far as research and, and podcasting. But there you go. There's my three cents. Catch you later, man. Ciao.
1: So some of you listening probably don't have any idea what Ed was just talking about. So uh, let me fill you in a little bit here. Over on the Patreon, we do have an exclusive show called X-Lapse Point One, wherein right now we're uh, talking about... Uh, it's going to kind of be an all-inclusive mutant program That uh, covers topics and characters that don't don't really fall into the purview of X-Lapsed or Essential X-Lapsed It's kind of the extracurricular sort of stuff here And right now we're uh, talking about Namor the Submariner, the first Marvel mutant We went all the way back to Motion Picture Funnies number one uh, Back before Marvel Comics number one To talk about his first appearances here And a question that I posed during the third episode of uh, Point One Was, what do we do about Toro? Now, for folks who don't know, Toro is the original Human Torch's sidekick Who, for like 50 years, was thought to be a mutant Now, that all changed uh, within the past 10 years when Marvel was having its, uh, you know uh, We don't own the X-Men movie rights anymore, so mutants are bad temper tantrum And uh, Toro was then made into having latent inhuman abilities, not mutant abilities But I still thought it would be uh, interesting to pose the question You know, do we cover Toro who was thought to be a mutant for so long And uh, so far the consensus has been, uh, just like Ed said, no (laughs) No Toro, don't do Toro Which I tell you what is a relief (laughs) Um, We will be having some uh, uh, Submariner and Human Torch crossovers At which point Toro will be there so I could probably say everything that we need to say about Toro during one of those issues but, I mean, had we covered Toro, it would kind of, like, double the amount of shows we'd have to do. So I'm happy that people are okay kind of putting Toro to the side. Maybe there's someone else out there who wants to do a uh, Toro-centric program, and I can, just, uh, I can just link to them, and maybe they'll link back, and we can uh, synergize in that regard. But I want to thank you so much for calling in, Ed, and, of course, for all of your support and for uh, joining in on the uh, little Patreon experiment we have going on right now. Next up, a voicemail from Jeremiah.
0: Hey, Chris, it's Jeremiah. Just wanted to say congratulations on Patreon. I hope it goes really well for you. I also wanted to say that I read X-Men number three this week and the Onslaught comic. And I'm looking forward to your shows on both of those when they come out. The X-Men comic I really liked and the Onslaught book. I had no idea what's going on, so I'm going to need you to translate it for me in the podcast. Talk
1: to you soon. Bye. Well, thank you for your uh, kind words and for your support. Um, I was very, very nervous about starting this little experiment, and uh, I'm actually kind of overwhelmed by uh, the response that it's gotten so far. So uh, thank you, and uh, we I will name names as we uh, get closer to the end of this episode, but uh, definitely thank you, and I am certainly... Looking forward to that onslaught issue myself here And uh, I will do my best to translate as best I can Now that's our voicemail segment uh, Next up we do have some uh, news We have a little bit of news and rumors here uh, Regarding the future of the X-Books here um, One is uh, one is pretty uh, potentially important It's a rumor though uh, Benjamin Percy had tweeted out a redacted screen cap of a recent X-Men Summit uh, Zoom call or a conference call of some sort. And it has, you know, like the Brady Bunch boxes, right, where you see a different creator in each box. But two of those boxes were, uh, were scratched out. But folks over at Bleeding Cool did a little bit of forensics on it and uh, were able to match up the background, the little bits of the background that weren't crossed out. And uh, they assume, or they believe, that one of those redacted creators might just be former Uncanny X-Men writer, former Generation X, not Generation X, Generation Hope writer, Kieran Gillen. So, how do we feel about that? Well, I can't speak for everybody, but uh, I rather enjoyed his work on the X-Men going back, boy, that was over ten years ago, wasn't it? Where'd my life go? Boy, um, yeah, I, I'm a fan of Kieran Gillen. So if he's going to be part of this post-Hickman, um, run, then hey, I'm I'm there for it. I think that's a really, uh, that's a value-added move for the, uh, for the X-Men brain trust right now. Uh, the other bit of news we have is tangential. Uh, it's not really X-Men related here, but some of the X-Books are tied up in a crossover with these characters at this point, but, uh, Yeah, We learned that Guardians of the Galaxy will be wrapping up after The Last Annihilation. So, I guess we can say the X-Men were part of the Guardians' swan song for this this point in time. But uh, that's the news. Next up, we got This Week in X. Um, This is where I like to tell you what's coming out on Unlimited and what's hitting the stands. Unfortunately, there still is no uh, information on Unlimited. So, I mean, it's... When you're listening to this, it's Monday So all you gotta do is pop over to the app and everything's there So I don't know what good I was doing you anyway in that regard But uh, I can't tell you what's here Uh, On stands, though, we have a fairly large week Starting with Inferno number 1 All ten covers of it That is the big event of the the fall And um, I can't lie to you, I'm definitely looking forward to it I really want to see what this is going to be all about uh, we also have Sword number eight, which rumor has it is lumbering toward a conclusion of its own. And that one only has two covers, which I guess is the telltale sign that Marvel doesn't really believe in it all that much. Only two covers, boy. Uh, next up, we got Wolverine number 16, which has three covers. So Marvel still cares about that book. Uh, and then on the collected edition racks, we have Cable by Duggan, volume two, and the Reign of X, volume four anthology. Let's do some shoutouts here This is me thanking the folks on social media Who uh, clicked the little uh, interactability buttons on the uh, posts that I sent out And this is all about the 250th episode and the launch of the Patreon here And I tell you what, it's a long, long list this time out And uh, it really, really means the world to me that so many folks were uh, receptive to... You know this uh this little tweet I sent out. Uh let's start over on Twitter. I wanna thank uh, Ed Moore, Walt Nealand, The Long Box of Darkness, Joe Crawford, Dave Schultz, Bob Rowland, The Long Box Crusade, Pat Sampson, Twenty First Century Boys, Jason Colby, Jeremiah Jones, Jacob Jones, Chris Bailey, The Between the Pages blog, Billy D. Mark Jagger, Professor Allen, Tom Panarese, Into the Weird, Jesse DeYoung, Evan Bevins, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Kirk Spencer, Joseph Day, The Source Material Podcast, David Perlmutter, Jody Yerdin, Tyrone Higgins, Mark Radulich, and Professor Frenzy. I tell you what, that is, uh, that's an awesome list of names there. And, uh, thank you all so much for making, uh, this nobody almost feel like somebody. <laughs> so thank you all so much. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Professor Allen, Jesse D. Young, Chris Bailey, Pat Samson, Andrew Franklin, Walt Neeland, and Billy D. Thank you all so much for helping to signal-boost the show and uh, spread the word. Now, as mentioned, with the 250th episode, I did launch a Patreon, and uh, I was expecting to be met by uh, digital crickets. Uh, but no, no, um, I was blown away. Blown away by the reception here. Um, just two days into the experiment, and uh, there are already eight patrons on board. Uh, and I want to give them my sincerest Thanks. Um, thank you to uh, Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealand, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, the Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse D. Young, and Damian. There really are no words. Um, thank you so much. Uh, this is. Uh, I'm. I'm very weird about putting myself out there. Um, I always view um, putting myself out there as just another another way for me to potentially fail at something. So. Uh, Doing this was was hard for me. It was very very scary, and um, just wrapping my head around the concept that anything I could I could produce would be worthy of uh, anybody's time, much less anybody's hard-earned money. It really, like I said, there there are there really are no words besides uh, besides a heartfelt thank you. So thank you. There's a lot more to come over on the exclusive channel here. I have a lot of ideas that I'm uh, currently kicking around, so expect some announcements in the coming uh, weeks and uh, months. But I think that'll do it for me today. This is an uncharacteristically long um, X-Men Unlimited episode, isn't it? Um, uh, now, if anybody would like to get a hold of me, you can do so very easily. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to History at gmail.com. You can call into the X-Labs voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrissoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. And, of course, the uh, archives are available at chrisandreggie.podbean.com, and you can find that on any of your favorite and least favorite podcast applications. And, of course, there is a Patreon, which I am... Trying not to push too, too hard, because I know that could be very, very off-putting, but it it is there. It's at patreon.com slash xlapsed. But with all that said, I think that will do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for sharing some of your day with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.